0: It's Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. If you've got one of these from the church, it's on page 1019. Also, if you don't have a Bible or you forgot to bring yours, we always have Bibles in the foyer, and if you don't have one, you're welcome to take it home. Uh, And if if you do have one, you just need to borrow it, use it for the day, put it right back there. Somebody else would love to have it. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it actually increases your learning when you read it as we talk about it. So it's just another way of engaging with God's truth, Uh, and obviously God's very clear about the power of His Word in our lives, and we'd love for you to be a person who participates in that each day. Uh, So... Last week was a little different. We had a couple baptisms, and we talked about baptism, and specifically the theme about being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. Uh, And I'm just so thankful for each of you. Uh, Many of you, I think almost all of you, uh, put your names on those yellow cards. You put them in uh, the, the folder that said Jesus out there. And then this week, I just took some time to thank God for your faith. It was so encouraging for me. And I hope it was encouraging for you to think about the fact that you're in Christ if you have faith in Jesus. And I also hope that you're using that green card that there's somebody that you're praying for, that they would put their faith in Christ, that he would be working uh, in their lives specifically to draw them to him, and that maybe that Jesus would open up some opportunities for you to talk with them about Jesus' love for them. Uh, Anyways, the week before that, we had a panel up here, right, which was a little different. I know that some of us really loved that, and a few of us were like, boy, that wasn't my favorite. Um, But what I loved about it was that... um, these four people were willing to just share their hearts and their lives with us and the work that Jesus did. And that's a, that's a challenging thing. You know, they embraced a big thing uh, to come up here in front of all of you and to be honest and share uh, some details about their lives. I just wanted to highlight a few things that they said. I remember um, Connie said, sometimes we serve outside of our gifting at the request of the Lord to serve the body at the time. And then she said, if you don't feel gifted, ask God to show you And he will and then another time she said each gift from god is best used with a heart of love from and for god as well as my fellow believers those those were really touching and important things that she shared that i i appreciated and resonated with um Rocky talked about how God gave him this gift to serve, and specifically in technical ways, but then he took time to hone his gift. He sought out education so that he could be trained better, and then he was willing to engage in trial and error, and I think that's a big fear that people have is like, what if I mess up using my gift? Well, you're gonna, right? Just like everything else you've done in life. You, you've, you cook things, you're going to burn things. You're going to undercook things. Uh, you drive your car, you're probably going to make an error while driving your car. Hopefully you won't hit another car, but I'm sure that most of us have gone a little too far over the curb. Uh, I'm sure that most of us have squished something that ran across the road that we didn't want to squish. Uh, it's just part of what happens. Uh, to use a breakfast colloquialism, you can't make an omelet without going to Anita's for breakfast. No, uh, without, <laughs> without breaking a few eggs, right? And so y- you're just going to have to experience that and endure that, and i was so thankful that Rocky highlighted that. Um, Steve talked about encouragement and his gift of encouragement, and I love, I love his story about how God used his mom to highlight that. Hey, you're misusing the thing that God gave you. God gave you this ability to analyze, to build other people up, not tear them down. It's so cool to recognize that. You know, often in the States, we tend to think of our faith as a choose-your-own-adventure course, Um, but it's not. (laughs) It's uh, following Jesus, and then he leads you on the adventure, and his submission in that was really cool. I also uh, liked—Steve's kind of funny. He he has different ways of wording things. He says, Christianity is very simple— Jesus is God, and you're not, right? Like just, that's what discipleship is all about. Oh, as it turns out, it's Tuesday, and I'm still not God, so Lord, what do you want from me? Um, but then he said, but it's very complicated in working out the details in your life, and it is. Have you ever felt that before? Like, okay, I understand that you're God, but what do you want me to do in this situation? It can feel very challenging, and then he said that's where each of us comes in that in our gifting we serve one another and we speak into each other's lives and that's how God gives people information. I would also say that's how God sometimes leads us to formation is those people around us. I think this is why Jesus is very clear that my disciples will be known by their love, which is really my love in them. Or as First John says, he says that when you really love one another, then Jesus is made manifest in your midst. You know, none of us has seen Jesus face to face. But when we love each other well, we can encounter Jesus in a unique way as God's people. Um, Jim. Jim had some interesting things to share. So Jim talked about primarily using his gifts not in a Christian environment, but a work environment. Um, And and he didn't say it, but he worked for a federal work environment, which means it's very challenging uh, to share your faith sometimes, as those of you who've worked in government positions might know. And he talked about how um, God used his environment and planted the desires in him so that his use of his gifts was shaped over time. And he converted to Christ, and then as a result of his conversations defending his own faith, he got known as the Christian guy. And people would come to him and kind of like needle him and attack his faith, both emotionally and logically, and as a result, he got a lot of practice defending his faith and de-escalating conflict, so being a peacemaker, and then uh, he learned, he didn't identify it this way, but that's actually the gift of exhortation when you're trying to make somebody whole, he learned that God wanted to use him to turn conflicts into situations to bring wholeness in relationships, and then he also gets used by God to bring wholeness to individuals by uh, being encouraging of those folks to take steps in their faith to reconcile with God. Um, he said an interesting thing. He said, in a secular setting, you don't have to necessarily say that it's God-revealed truth for it to be true. You can put it out there and it stands on its own because the truth is undefeated. And I appreciated that confidence. You know, in the Northwest here, you and I, we live in a very uh, hostile environment to Jesus. Many people are antagonistic towards Jesus and that, that can be very challenging. And so as I encounter Christians in the Northwest, I see that most of us feel a little bit beat down and like our faith uh, is not respected around us, so it's hard to stand firm in the truth at times. But just for Jim to say, man, just stand on God's truth. It's true and it's gonna ring true no matter what. And you don't have to worry about proving that it's true. You can just declare God's truth and God's principles as true. So uh, if your neighbor is fighting with their spouse, And they're coming to you and complaining, you could say, you know, have you ever thought about being quicker to listen than to talk? That's a true thing. It's going to impact the relationship positively. You don't have to say, now in Exodus, God is revealed as the one who is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And you might consider taking on the character of Yahweh in your marriage. You thought about that? You don't have to like walk them through that in order for it to be true and impact other people. And, uh, and I appreciated that. And then Jim, his final exhortation was that I have expectations that every day in every setting uh, that is likely to happen again that the Holy Spirit will meet, will be working in and through us to accomplish His good purposes. I think God's pretty faithful at fulfilling that every day. And so one of the things that Jim has learned is when he's in a, a situation that's hard for him, he tries to stop worrying and rely on the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do in this situation? How do you want to work this out? I'm a willing participant on your team. Tell me what to do, tell me what to say, and I will obey. And it's such an important heart for us to have. And so what's great is that no matter the gift that we heard on the stage, we heard this idea, I will be humble before God, He will direct me. I will not worry about what's going to happen. I will be faithful and God will produce the fruit. Even if God calls me to serve outside of my gifting, it's still his calling and I want to be obedient to his calling. And then we also heard this progression. Through submitting to God and being faithful, I get more effective at using the gifts he gave me over time with the character that he's shaping in me. And I think some of us just need to hear that. And remember, it's okay to take the risk and there's grace for you. It's okay if you fail. There's still grace for you. you know, I've heard it said that it's better to try and fail than to not try at all, right? Not trying at all is actually the biggest failure. Uh, an, an, a 60% is way better than a 0% on a test, right? And we need to remember that. But besides the fact that God's not grading you on the results. He, he's the one who produces the fruit. He's grading you on your faithfulness to follow after him. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's it for the summary of the last week. Uh, as you might remember, we're still in this uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 section, which is about spiritual maturity and the use of gifts together, uh, and we're, we're honing in on it, but we've got a few weeks left as we continue to explore Paul's lessons for us in, well, Jesus' lessons for us in the use of gifts. Uh, towards that end, why don't we ask God to bless our time of learning, open our ears, and uh, invite him into this time. Lord, we just thank you for being here with us as we worship you, as we seek after you, Lord, I love in James, that you're so clear. Uh, if you seek me, you will find me, right? Uh, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you, our James' words to His church. And so Father, we're drawn near to you, and we thank you that you're going to draw near to us at the same time. Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us, not just give us information, God, but to show us what it looks like to listen and obey, to hear and to follow. Lord, more than likely, there's some concepts in our minds that need to shift. Highlight those for real. Let us not off the hook, Father. Help us to not worm away from the truth that you have, excusing ourselves, but instead to stand before you and agree with you. And Father, as you do so, would you call us forward and help us to remember that conviction is something that draws us into a better relationship and greater fruitfulness. It's not something that is meant to crucify or condemn us, but instead to move us forward. And Lord, we thank you for gifting each of us with a spiritual gift to use for your purposes. We rejoice in these things, And we thank you for leading us in Jesus' name. So um, I do not have, wait, I do have, have I been advancing slides or have you guys been advancing slides? You did that. I think my presentation tool might be there. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're talking about being used or being useful. In America, we love talent. Um, Have you ever watched a show about talent? There's a few of them out there, right? And it's awesome. You can see some really amazing things uh, on, like, America's Got Talent and uh, what else is out there, Uh, American Idol. We really elevate talent. In fact, in our nation, the people who make the most, who have the most influence, are primarily there because of their talent. Have you ever followed one of these very talented people on uh, Twitter before or Instagram? Sometimes you might notice that there's a great deal of talent, and yet at the same time, there's a very strong lack of character, and often a lack of wisdom. Now, this is why I don't tweet a lot, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because I I could say those same things might be true about me sometimes. But sometimes we elevate talent so much that we forget about the influence of—maybe it's—no, it'll be okay. We can just work together, and yeah, we'll make it work out— So uh, we forget that sometimes it's not talent that's most important, uh, but instead a few other factors. And this can influence us in the church. Often in the church, we elevate people who have talent, but we do so to the neglect of character. And then when we feel like our talent isn't as great, somehow we feel less capable and less useful to the Lord. But the reality is, is that God gives that talent, right? So do you think that God looks at the church and sees somebody with talent and says, that's the best person in the church. I'm going to use them the most. No, not at all. But we fall prey to that lie as believers that if my talent isn't as boisterous, isn't as important to others, that somehow God won't use me. Oh, you've, okay, it's working. All right, Rocky's got it. Thank you. Oh, interesting. It's a backup. Thank you, the backup. All right. So, uh, often when we think of talent, we think that we're going to be used by God. But God doesn't say that it's talent that makes you useful. Uh, Instead, it's going to be your heart, your willingness to follow after Him, your character, and the strength that you have in walking with the Lord. And so I want to encourage you that God has plans for you. He wants you to make an eternal impact in the lives of others, in the kingdom of God that won't just be for now, but will be forever. But if you're going to have impact, then you need to pursue love and you need to build others up. If you're going to have eternal impact or kingdom impact, you need to pursue love and you need to seek to build others up. Now, who do you think the most loving person to ever walk the earth was? Jesus, good. You got the Sunday school answer. That was perfect. It was like the the one answer everybody knows and the the question that gets us there. Yeah, and so really, Paul is saying, pursue Christ-like character. Learn to become more like Jesus in the way that you live your life, and then you will be more useful in the things that God has given you and has called you to do. And then he says there's this other key. Learn to build others up. Now what's great is, let's say you're anxious about Costco samples today, Uh, your shoes are too tight, you're too tired. That's the message, okay? We're not going to pray and go home because it can still be sown a little deeper and we can have some greater understanding, but that's the heart of the start of this chapter. If you want to have an eternal impact, you need to pursue love and you need to build others up. But let's look at God's Word so that you know it for sure. It's not just me who's making this up, uh, that we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies to people for their—pardon uh, me—the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. And I want to pause here because um, apparently. I forgot to advance the slide. And uh, I want to unpack those three concepts. Did you know that when the Holy Spirit puts words in the Bible, it's on purpose? Have you ever been guilty of word salad? Where you're trying to say something and you're not quite getting it and so more and more words are coming out to try and describe what's going on. And before you know it, you just have this salad of words and people are like, let me try again. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that in His Word. He's very clear. And so this prophesying that goes on, which we'll talk a little bit about, is doing three things in the church that Paul finds valuable and the Holy Spirit finds valuable. First of all, there's strengthening, and that means to build up, but it specifically means to build up the household of faith, okay? So people who know Jesus. That's what prophecy is for. It builds up people who know Jesus. It also draws people into the family and brings them into the household of Jesus, so it's being built in numbers, and it's being built in the depth of strength that's there. Now, there are times where being built up is just somebody patting you on the back and sending you out again. You're doing great, but sometimes being built up is that halftime speech in the losing football game where the coach looks at the team, and everybody's beat up and downtrodden, and then there's this building up of the team so that the first half isn't defining how they play in the second half. Now, what's amazing to me is that every week in church, we have people who are coming in who had a great week with Christ, and they're just looking to be refueled and sent out again. But at the same time, we have people who are coming in, and life has been beating them down, and Satan has been chewing them up, and both parties need to be built up to be strengthened. And what's awesome is God's word does. Both. And the Holy Spirit works both out when we gather together and hear God's truth in our lives. Now there's this next word which is translated encourage, right? Or in some translations it might be uh, exhort. And this is a little different. This is beseeching someone. This is extolling someone. This is a loving call to people to move forward. See, sometimes we gravitate towards information spiritually, and that kind of fuels us up, right? So the pastor shares a word and you're like, boy, I really just like that information. I just felt so refreshed and recharged. And yet at the same time, there's this piece of listening to God where God's calling you forward in your life. He doesn't just want to let you sit where you are. He wants you to move forward with Christ, to be transformed into Jesus' character, to learn to obey, to learn to listen to God in your day-to-day life. And so there's a gentle calling forward. Now this is important because there's sometimes uh, prophesying can be handled poorly and it can be done with anger and condemnation. And this exhorting is not to be done with anger and condemnation and condemnation and sometimes what happens because i've been there before is that uh we are imperfect and so we might tap into a subject where we're sore or there's angry anger and so then as we're exhorting people to move forward instead of having this gentle call of christ in life there's this firm swat of an angry dad from the front and that's not really what exhortation is about and it's not what prophecy is about now certainly sometimes believers need correction, right? But most often that correction needs to be done privately in love. Now, I'm not saying that it's always an error when a pastor gets angry from the front, but I'm just saying that in general, we need to understand that exhortation is a gentle call. It's a beseeching. It's it's Paul saying, let us pursue love. Was Paul upset with the Corinthian church? I think so. You know, you read the letter, it's really strong. Uh, He says things to them like, do you think that I can't come in power and deal with this problem? Wow. But then he still uses this exhorting, loving tone with them because that reflects the character of God. Because God always loves. Because Jesus says when he invites us to learn from him, come and learn from me because I am humble and gentle and that's what it takes to learn condemnation and guilt don't move us forward it doesn't work for us and so the lord calls us forward with gentleness and love and then there's this consoling there's this consoling that happens in god's word have you ever been having a tough week and and you you just remember one of the psalms that speaks to your soul. The Psalms is the songbook of the soul. If you're not familiar with the songs, they're like right in the middle of the Bible. And, and if you're having a hard time and you just start thumbing through some of those, you're gonna find a Psalm that you're like, wow, I didn't know God was so good in the midst of my problem. Or wow, I didn't know that other people dealt with this too. You know, have you ever been really angry and you're wondering like, is this okay with God? And then you read one of those really angry Psalms where horrible things are being said, like God smash them and, and destroy all of their children and let their name disappear from the earth. And you're like, whoa, this dude was angry and he wrote this song to God. I can, I can be that real with God? I can, I can be so angry that I can tell God that I wish someone would die? I didn't know I could do that and that God would receive that? Isn't that amazing? And then there's other times where you're like, dude, this dude was depressed. Like, I, I've been on my bed for days weeping. Like, wow, I've, I've been there. I can talk to God while I'm just, I don't even want to do anything and I can reveal that to him. And so there's this consolation that happens when there's prophecy, where there's a deep amount of comfort and the goal is to bring wholeness to the people who are hearing. And so there's a a great deal of spiritual care that happens as God's word is explored and explained, where the truth of God's word is applied individually to our hearts. But there's not just comfort, because God is not a coddling mother. He's not a helicopter parent who's going to do everything for you. He's going to comfort you, but then he wants to send you back out again. So there's this piece of consoling that says, and now that you're better, get moving, you know? But it's in love. It's that gentle push that says, okay, get back on the bike. Okay, go back out and teach again. Yes, that was hard. That person rejected you, but still share the gospel with another neighbor. There's this consolation that just doesn't move us back into the recliner forever, but it puts us back into action as soon as possible because that's what's good for you. And so these are the primary goals of prophecy, and all of that is meant to build up, not tear down. Now, is that sometimes there's correction, right? And sometimes there's untruth that's exposed, and sometimes there's sin that's exposed, but all of that is meant to move you forward and build you up and not beat you down. Then Paul continues. He says, on the other hand, the person, wait, wait wait, no, turn the page. The person who speaks another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds the church up. Now, I, I want to pause here for another small point that isn't connected on the main point, but I've heard people say things like, uh, praying, praying in tongues is only self-serving. It's only self-serving. There's no good in praying, praying in tongues. It's just wrong. It's just wrong, because it's all about you. And Paul's not saying that. If Paul was saying that, he'd just say, Praying in tongues is wrong. Don't do it. It's demonic. He's done that at other places in the book, right? Paul doesn't say that here. And I just want us to understand that because some traditions have strongly condemned the use of some of the sign gifts, and there's a place where we as a Western culture, when we deal with ecstatic people and ecstatic faith, we think, Whoa! Something's wrong with them. They just turned it up to eleven, and I'm more comfortable at a six and a half. And so I just don't even want to go there. You you need to have a little less ecstasy in your worship. Simmer down there, fireball. We're not all about that here. Okay? So you just need to. We're so happy for your faith in Jesus, but that's for in your car, not in the congregation. So just, it's gonna be okay. Now. We need to have orderly worship, right? Worship shouldn't be disrupted, and we're going to talk more specifically about tongues in church next week because Paul spends about eight verses talking about this very thing, and and yet at the same time, I just don't want anybody to leave here feeling condemned or confused. It's good for you to spend time building up your own faith. It's good for you to spend time nourishing your spiritual person. It's good for you to spend time sowing to the Spirit in yourself so that you can have strength. But Paul's saying that's good, but when you gather at a church, what's better is to build each other up, not to build yourself up. Have you ever had a team meeting after an important event, and then there's one person in the room that when the review happens, all they're doing is, I was really awesome when, did you guys see me when I did this? I saw this problem, and then I solved it. What are you thinking about that person by the end of the meeting? Yeah, stuck up. You're you're thinking somebody needs to knock that person down a few pegs. Can you imagine if coming to church was all about bolstering yourself, making yourself feel important in the eyes of God? How weird would that be? When someone came into our church, what would they think? Oh, those people, they all think that they are hot stuff like the bathroom doesn't smell after they leave, right? (laughs) But it does, and we're not hot stuff. But instead, Christ is lifted up as we build each other up. Now, I, I think in general our church is really good at this, so I'm not trying to whack anybody around. This isn't a Three Stooges moment. It's just a time for us to notice that this is the priority of the church, is to build each other up when we're gathered together. And then when you're alone... That's time for you to build yourself up in the Lord. Not to puff yourself up in the Lord, but to pursue the things that nourish your soul so that when you're around other people, you can build them up again. You ever wonder why Jesus spent so much time with the Father alone? I mean, over and over again, it says that Jesus got up early in the morning and he went off to a desolate place. And then there's times where it says that Jesus was exhausted, so he went off to be by himself, but he wasn't just being by himself. Where was he? He was in the presence of the Father because he knew with everything he was giving out, he needed to be close to God. He needed to be strengthened in his inner man to do the things that God was calling him to do. And you need to do those same things. But the time for that is when you're with God alone. And the time for this is to build other people up. Same thing for me. This time isn't for you to think that I'm important. I don't care if you think anything about me. I want you to remember things about Jesus when I'm talking, and I want to build you up in the process of that because it's not the messenger that's important. It's the message, and it's not the speaker that's important. It's the one who's hearing, and so I just want to be useful for God's purposes in you, and I hope that you have that same purpose when you are here. That means that we need to take moments where we become self-centered in our faith, and we need to think, no one's greeting me today. Well, go greet somebody else. <laughs> then you're going to have that conversation with them, right? My favorite cookie wasn't here, so make it and bring it next week and give it to other people, right? They ran out of coffee, so help make some coffee next week, right? Like, make a difference for someone else when you're here. Don't think that it's all about you getting something you want. That was a really long digression. I apologize. We're going to go on to verse 5. If, <laughs> if we're going to get done. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in notes how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Therefore, got to click, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in the building up of the church. Okay, so there's this huge foundation that Paul has been laying for the last few chapters, and it's this, Christ-like love is the indicator of genuine spiritual maturity. Christ-like love is the indicator of genuine spiritual maturity. As I said, in America, we tend to elevate talent. And the Corinthian church was doing the same thing. And the specific gift that they were elevating was obviously praying in tongues that if you prayed in tongues, somehow this is the marker that you are awesome in Christ and everyone needs to laud you and look out for you because you are just incredible. And so they would have this experience where they'd come together and people would engage in ecstatic utterances of languages that spoke to God in prayer, usually praise and exaltation from my understanding, and everyone would go like, wow, our church is just so awesome. I just am so glad that Jenny Kravopal is here to always make a difference for us because she is just amazing. None of you are Jenny Krabappel, right? Okay, excellent. Uh, And so they would pick this one gift, which is really a talent that's given by God, and it would become so excellent in their minds that that would be the marker of having an awesome church service, right? Because talent is lifted up in their hearts. But Paul is saying it's not talent. It's Christ-like love that should be lifted up around you. The ability to build other people up, the ability to obey Jesus and or obey the Father and follow after him thoroughly with life. That is the marker that you should be looking for. It's not about these amazing things, it's about the faithful things in the mundane things. And so pursue Christ-like love because that matters more than these gifts. In fact, that's the start of the chapter, right? Pursue love. Now to pursue something has changed for us. When you want something, it's not hard to get it. You go to Google, you put it in there, you hit the shop thing, and then it gives you like a bunch of different prices. And then if you don't like those, you say, see more. And then it shows you more of the same thing. And then eventually you get to the third page, and you're like, I do not know what pink sparkles has to do with spark plugs. I better go back to a previous page because I'm pursuing spark plug. So when we pursue something, we think, I just need to have enough resources and find the right source, and then I will get the thing. And it happens very, very fast. But when we're talking about pursuing love in the Bible, it's a bigger thing. It's an intentional and exhausting search to find and develop Christ-like love. Anybody ever hunt with dogs? I'm ne- I've never hunted in my life, but we owned a basset hound for about 10 years. And a basset hound is a hunting dog. They're made to pick up a scent, and they're made to pursue that scent until they die find it. Everything about their body is made for that. Those floppy ears, you wouldn't believe it. What they do is they actually flop scent at the nose. So they put their nose on the ground and the ears sweep smells at them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having ears intensifying your sense of smell? There's probably whole places you would never go. It it, it smells bad in here. I don't like this place, right? Uh, the basset hound, though, is meant for that. And then once they get a smell, they're off. In fact, when we got our Basset Hound, we got a Basset Hound through an adoption agency, not because we're amazing humanitarians, but because we're cheap and Basset Hound puppies are like two grand. Uh, But you can adopt a dog for $150. So that was really convenient for us. And as it turns out, there's a lot of Basset Hounds that need adoption because they're a weird and expensive breed. So we were told, never let your dog off leash. Because if you do, your Basset Hound will pick up a smell and be gone. And you will have to chase them and chase them and chase them. And that basset hound will go places that you don't want to go or might not be able to go, and you might lose your basset hound. And so we had to promise, I will do my best, right, like the scout's honor thing, right, to never do that. Now, we happened to get a broken basset hound, praise the Lord, because she was a mom in a puppy mill, and she lived on concrete, so she didn't know how to scent anything up. She was a moron when it came to finding smells. And so we were having, we'd have freedom, because she would never pursue the thing that she was made to do. But we knew other people that had basset hounds, and they were like, man, this one-time Morty... That's a good bass hound name, right? This one time Morty, we we just let him off the leash in the park and man, he was gone and then 17 miles later, we found a squirrel's nest. That was an exciting day, right? Well, we need to be that way in our pursuit of Christ-like love. We need to see it and go, I want more of that in my life. I saw that in the other person. How do they demonstrate patience in that way? I'm reading the word and I'm convicted that sometimes my tongue is really sharp. How do I soften my tongue? How do I speak words that build up when I'm correcting somebody else? How can I do that with gentleness and patience? We need to be pursuing it constantly. We need to let the smell of Christ waft up into our nose and we need to let that excite us so that we're motivated to pursue it more. We need to give up everything else for this pursuit. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about pursuit. It's talking about a lifelong, energetic journey that doesn't stop to understand Christ's love more and its application in your life. In John fifteen twelve, Jesus says this, As I have loved you, you should love one another. That's God's call for us in our lives. And Paul is saying, don't give that up for the sake of any talent that you've been given that's the heart of your journey pursue love first and foremost next paul says that we need to understand that gifts are given to strengthen and are best used to strengthen others by building them up that's so important that we recognize that. God has given you a unique spiritual gifts or gift or set of spiritual gifts, and the goal of that gift is not to make you look good, but it's to make God greater in somebody else's life by building them up. You are the servant. You know, when you go to a great restaurant, does the server make the experience, or do they just help the experience get better? They just help the experience get better. If I go to a restaurant and I think, That food was terrible. That sure was a nice server, though. Am I going back? No, not at all. In fact, when you go to fine dining restaurants, they train their servers so that they basically disappear because they're just there to make the experience better for that person. It's not about the server. It's about the recipient, and it's about the giver, right? And we need to have that same mindset. In fact, this is what John the Baptist says, right? He says that I must decrease, and Jesus must increase, And that's what we long for as Christians, that Jesus would increase in the lives of those that we're ministering to and serving. Not that people would walk away and go, wow, that is some pastor. But instead that they would walk away and go, wow, that is some savior. I can't believe he loves me that much. I think this is part of why Paul uses the language that he uses when encouraging churches about their gifts. He says things like, I thank God for your generosity. Isn't that a weird way of thanking someone? Why does he just say, thank you very much for your kind gift? Because for Paul, it's not about them, and it's not about him, but it's about God. And then he says things after that, like, and just like you met my need, I know that our God is faithful, and he will meet your need. So he's trying to build them up specifically in Christ. He's not trying to puff them up with themselves. Don't you think that's an important thing to note as a church family? As we encourage each other, we need to be building each other up in Christ, not just puffing each other up in ourselves. And so these gifts are given to strengthen others by building them up. We went on that whole thing about what prophecy is for, right? To strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. That's all about God's truth being used to transform somebody else's life. What's your gift? God wants to use your gift to transform someone else's life. And you have the gift of serving. I have seen someone serving another person. Christians, non Christians alike, completely transform another life. I just listened to a testimony on social media last week, one of the best uses of social media I've ever seen. This young man was talking about how he was traveling through a town in Texas and he saw this dude on the side of the road who had a flat tire and he felt the Spirit nudge him to pull over and help him out, which, by the way, is taking his life and putting it in God's hands, right? Because it's dangerous to stop on the side of the freeway and help people out. And he gets out of the car and he encounters this really burly, scary looking dude. And he's like, hey, you got a flat tire. And the dude's really frustrated. He's like, yeah. And he sees that the guy's got a spare, but he doesn't have the lug wrench to get the tire off. And so he goes to the back of his car, he gets the necessary tools, he helps the guy change the tire, and the whole time he's like, I got to talk to the guy about Jesus. So he starts bringing Jesus up, but the guy's not having it. He's not really responding. And so finally, before he leaves, he takes his business card, and he knew a pastor in that town and a church in that town. So he wrote the name of the pastor, he wrote the address and phone number of the church, and said, if you ever want to talk about Jesus with somebody, here's the guy to do it with, and he left. And what's crazy is the next day that pastor whose name was Ron called him and he said, hey, I gotta talk to you about that guy. So the next time he was going through town, he stopped by because the pastor said, I need to buy you lunch or a cup of coffee or something because this is awesome. And so when he was going through town next time, he made time to meet with the pastor. And that guy who he served in Jesus' name, he, he didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, he worked for a drug dealer, okay? And he was the enforcer. So he was the, the billing department, right? I think that's how that works when you're a drug dealer. And, um, and there were some bills that were overdue, and so there were some people whose accounts were going to end, if you get my drift. In fact, five of them, and that was his afternoon that day. Um, but the guy was wrestling with what he was going to have to do, and so instead of sending the bill, he went and met with the pastor who shared Jesus with him, and he gave his life to Christ, and he enrolled in discipleship in that church intentionally you think that my job's important. God has jobs for you every day, no matter your gift. And when you use it to build other people up, it transforms them. It doesn't always do so in such a dramatic way, but it will. And over time, some of your faithful deposits have won over angry people, have softened hurting hearts, have built up others in Christ. You know, a cup of coffee in Jesus' name is a really awesome thing. And just because you aren't doing what I'm doing doesn't mean that your gift is insignificant. God has given you your gift to strengthen other people and to build them up. And then Paul says this about that. Admire, be zealous for, and prioritize gifts that build up the church. So the Corinthian church, because of their broken way of viewing the gifts, prioritized confusion in their worship service. Instead of having a time that would draw everybody together towards Jesus, they would allow each other to interrupt each other with these ecstatic utter- utterances of tongues. And they get out of church and they just, man, we're so good at church. I just, the tongues today were so impressive, right? And they're, they're puffing themselves up and each other in their gifts. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. No, your zeal's in the wrong place. It's not about feeling awesome for your hyper-spiritual worship. Instead, it's about building each other up So be zealous for opportunities to build each other up and make room in your church service to build each other up and encourage and applaud when others are built up. Make that the story of your church, building others up. And so this is the priority for us as a church, that we would admire and be zealous for and prioritize gifts that are building other people up. Now when I say admire, I don't mean in that American way when we put people on a pedestal And make them better. It's talking about that process of admiring something so you want that sort of thing in your life. Think about how a child admires mom and dad. Have you noticed how children copy their parents for good and for bad? I remember as a kid, my dad um, was a low voltage electrician. So he had like this cool tool belt and all these tools. And so, what did I do when I was playing? I was a low voltage electrician, right? And then, and then I was hoping that my kids would pick up on those sorts of things, and then our firstborn son, uh, we had an old keyboard, and he pulled it out of a drawer. He found it, and he was like clunking on it. I was like, what you doing? He's like, it's a texter. I'm texting people. And I was like... Wow, that's my job. I'm a texter, I guess. I'm not a low-voltage electrician. I'm an iPhone user in his eyes. And so he was copying me and Raylene because he admires us. In the same way, when you look at other gifts and you see things, God's saying, admire those things and be zealous that they're in your life. I remember as a young Christian, uh, God had placed this calling to be a pastor in my life, and so I would watch other pastors, and I always admired most the pastors who could exhort, who could lovingly encourage and bring wholeness to their congregations through the way that they taught. I mean, it just it just sung to me. I listened to a message and I'd go to the church or go to a church and be like, man, that was so awesome. God's people were made more whole through the process of that message. It was the Holy Spirit in me creating a positive desire for something that was good. It was never, wow, that guy's amazing. It was, Lord, I want to be useful to you. And if you would teach me to do that. I would do that too for your good and for your glory. That's what I long for, Lord. That's the kind of heart that God wants you to have as a Christian. Not when you see somebody else and you're like, man, they are amazing. I could never be like that. But to say, Lord, is that your calling in my life? I long to have a gift that's effective like that. Would you either give me that gift or show me the gift that I have so that I could be more effective for you? That's what God wants for us. And then there's this final piece. The Lord wants you to be zealous for and prioritizing learning to build others up excellently. Look at the last verse that we read today, uh, verse 12. It says, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Paul's excited about that. He doesn't, he doesn't say stop being zealous. He says be zealous in the right way. Seek to excel in the building up of the church that's how Paul wants the Corinthians to excel. That's how God wants us to excel. But there's a journey in doing that. It's something that you need to seek after. You need to have a zeal for that, and you need to prioritize learning to build others up excellently. Have you ever been trying to give somebody a compliment, and you put your foot in your mouth in some way? Me too. I'm very flexible, as it turns out. I can get both feet in my mouth, up to the knee. I've done this before with you, right? You're like, I wish he'd stop talking right now. This is just getting worse, right? And sometimes you go to give somebody a compliment and you realize that you just were so nice to them and you backhand them. You're so nice now, not like you used to be. (laughs) You know? so, So we need to learn to build others up excellently. And we need to learn to do that without making ourselves a deal at all. Without it being about us looking good or feeling good. We're not serving so that we go, I am a pretty, gosh darn awesome Christian. I don't even say his name in a bad way anymore, right? I've replaced it with other four-letter words. (laughs) There's this learning process. And you know what's amazing is that I have run into saints who have walked with Christ for decades longer than I am, and I talk to them about their gifts, and they're still committed to learning because they're convinced that Jesus wants to make them better and more skilled at using their gift than they were last week last month or last year so they're pursuing excellence in their ministry and that's what God wants for us you know sometimes we think that we can get this place to I've arrived I've become everything that I'm supposed to be in Jesus everyone pay attention I'm about to do something amazing (laughs) now I'll stand and we'll sing right it's not about that at all We need to be learning to use our gifts more and more excellently. That probably means we need to humbly ask for feedback from others. We need to listen to that feedback and consider it. Not that we would elevate their words, but we'd say, Lord, someone says this about the way that I serve. Is this is this a way that I need to change? Do do I need to be a little bit more organized about how I run this? Do I need to make sure to give room to other people's ideas? Do I do I need to do this more frequently? And what are the things that you want for me in the use of my gift, God? Because it's not all about me, it's about you. And so Paul says, be zealous for your own growth in the use of your spiritual gift. That means that you're gonna have to spend some time learning about it, honing your craft, gaining knowledge and wisdom and understanding, all in humility and love. Do you put effort into your spiritual gift? Do you feel guilty when you do? Don't. It's something that God desires for you, that you would learn to use your gift excellently. But don't let, ever let yourself fall in love with yourself while you're doing that, right? Don't ever think, well, I'm really, I'm awesome now. Look out. The pride comes before the fall. I know this. God wants you to have an impact for eternity. He's built you. In fact, over and over again, we read in the Bible that things, people say things like, you chose me in my mother's womb, Before I was, you knew me. You knit me together. Surely I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah says, before I was born, you set me apart. Paul says that same thing about him. God sees you and knows you, and he has a unique plan for your life. He gave you your personality traits, your strengths, your weaknesses. And if you put your faith in Christ, he's also given you incredible and powerful spiritual grace gifts. He wants all of those things to have an eternal impact. Not just to matter right now, but to matter forever. But if you want to have that impact, you need to pursue love. And you need to build others up. Because that's the way. It's the way that God's chosen for you to have an impact. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing love? Is it a a restless pursuit? Is it something that you're gaining on every day? Are you building others up? Are you reminding yourself that it's not about you? Are you choosing humility and the life of Christ so that you're not walking into the room wondering, do other people see me? But instead, you're asking, how does God see them? And how can I get them to know that more? And if you are, then you're making an impact for eternity. And in those places that you're not, it's just that gentle process of repentance. Lord, I walked into that meeting. and I made it all about me. I'm so sorry. I've got some phone calls to make to apologize. Will you be with me when I do that? And will you help me to walk in ready to listen? I'm ready to love rather than to Lord over others, the things that I think. you See, it's just that process of repentance. I don't want to do that for everything you do in your life. You, you know where those areas are. You just need to give those over to the Lord and ask him, to trans- ask him to transform your heart so that you're pursuing love and so that you're building others up. Hey, thanks for listening today. Let's pray and let's sing a final song together. Father, <sighs> I'm so excited. And when I read in your word about the opportunities that we have to pursue love, to build other people up, when I think about the gifts that you've given this group of people and the work that you want to do on this peninsula, I am just blown away and overwhelmed by how good you are and how fun and awesome it is to follow after you. Lord, in your word today, you call us to greater commitment to the love of Christ. And Lord, there's ways that each of us fail where we find fault where we pull back instead of pressing forward, when we're overly vigorous, when we're empty of you and full of ourselves. Would you forgive us of those times? And would you help us to have your love and to know what it looks like to pursue that love, to grow in it? And Father, would you help us to always have a mindset of seeing what we can do to build other people up, especially when we gather together as a church family. Lord, we want to see your kingdom strengthened. We want to see your church strong. We want to see the name of Jesus made great. And so would you help us love? And would you help us build up, Father? In Jesus' name, amen.